This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Well, good morning. So glad that you decided to come to church today and uh, be a part of this continuing marriage series that we're in right now called I Want a New Marriage. Last week, my wife and I shared about friendship. And I want to give you a little heads up in case you didn't know that we have a weekly video that is on our website, just about three or four minutes long, and it's called Elements, and that's under our resources tab on our website, wogcc.com. And those Elements videos come with study notes that you can kind of take the teaching that we do on the weekend and take it a step further and study that. If you're married, study it with your spouse. Uh, You could study it with friends or study it alone. Uh, I heard a really encouraging thing this week about the Elements videos that someone let me know that they were actually using those videos to hold a small group in their house where they actually invite a few other couples over and they watch the little short video together and then they open up the Word of God, go through the questions together, talk about those things and I thought, what a great idea. That's some of my heart and my intent for those Elements videos anyways and so for someone to take that without even knowing that that's what I was wanting Uh, to kind of move towards in some of those areas, I thought that was really, really a good thing. So take advantage of those. Go watch the Elements videos, um, and and I think that they'll be a great help to you as well. Um, Next week uh, is going to be the last week in this marriage series. We're going to wrap it up next week, but before we do, we're going to hit the word today, go into the word today, and we're going to talk about intimacy. And if you're writing uh, notes today, uh, I want you to write down this title, Pure Intimacy. We're going to talk about intimacy from God's standpoint. And here's the deal. We are bombarded in our world with this whole talk and this whole image that is being pushed about sex everywhere you go. It is on the TV, it's on billboards, it's everywhere you go. So we are just completely in a culture that is saturated with sex, but it's not saturated in a godly way that is bringing glory to Him. So we need to understand something, that the world is pushing this thing called sex that God created. And they're twisting it and perverting it and pushing it in a way that is not bringing glory to God. It's gratifying man's flesh and not bringing glory to God. And so if the world is not afraid to talk about it in a perverted sense, why should we, the children of God whom God created this, for our pleasure, for our procreation, for ultimately His glory, then how can we be so shy as to not talk about it? So yeah, some people get real uncomfortable when you start talking about sex in church. But guess what? going to make you uncomfortable today. <laughs> if you go to a church where you're always comfortable, you better check yourself. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about pure intimacy today. And, 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 you know, as we talk about the influence of the world, you know, world leaders, celebrities, um, popular culture cannot dictate truth. Can't dictate truth. Tries to dictate truth. A lot of people allow it to dictate truth for them, but it cannot dictate truth. You see world leaders, celebrities, people that have, you know, their 15 seconds of fame, they want to always go out sharing their opinions. And now we have more ways to actually hear their opinions and get involved in their opinions than ever before. We can follow them on Twitter. We can follow them on Facebook. We can watch them on all these different television shows or channels. And we can hear what people who have been given a platform or uh, some notoriety, we can listen to what they have to say. But just because they have a platform, just because they have some notoriety, just because they're popular, does not mean that they're right. Does not mean that they're right. So we have to be really careful. We can't allow people to dictate truth. We look at truth as this thing that we can somehow choose to believe. And because we have chosen to believe it, all of a sudden it just becomes true. Well, my truth is different than your truth. And truth becomes relative in our culture. And that's not the way God created it. You see, absolute foundational truth, not relative changing truth, is the Word of God. It's the foundation. It does not change. God said, I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. What if the foundation of this building were to change? What if it was to completely just move a different way? What if it was to completely shift a different way because it's not popular to have the foundation this way anymore? 
or because there's certain pressure that doesn't want the foundation to be this way anymore. There's a, a, a lot of people that don't like this kind of foundation. And so they go, well, you know what? I'm going to make it something else to support what I want. Guess what? That building is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's the same thing that happened to our nation and our world as our foundation shifts and changes. The structure gets weaker and weaker and weaker. God does not change. So if we want to have a strong life, if we want to have a strong family that is going to bring glory to God, if we want to have a strong marriage, we have to build upon a foundation that is absolute, not one that's just popular or socially acceptable. So we need to get that straightened out before we go any further in this message because we've got to be careful who and what we allow to influence our lives and shape our view of what is true. You see, the Word of God is true, and I choose to believe it. But just because I choose to believe it, it's going to be true either way. If I choose not to believe it, it's still true because it's absolute. It's foundational. Amen? And here's the thing. Only God gets to dictate what is truth. Only God gets to dictate what is truth. Not you, not me, not world leaders, not celebrities, not pop culture, not your co-worker. Only God gets to dictate what is true. We don't get to make up rules for things that God has set into order and set in place. We have to submit our ideas to God's idea. That's where it comes into play where we say, God, not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Not my ways, Lord, but your ways. I'm going to submit and humble myself to say that God's ways are going to be better for me. Because here's the thing. A lot of times in our culture, people look at the Word of God and they look at it as some type of device that wants to constrict me and, and put all these parameters into place to restrict my fun, to restrict my enjoyment, to restrict, well, you just don't really know how to live. You need to get with the times, man. You need to get with what's popular. Oh, that's old way of thinking. Oh, that's, that, that, that's not popular. That's not acceptable. Why don't you just forget that part or forget this part? Why don't you just take the good stuff out of it and leave all the other? No, no, no. That's not how this works. You see, when God establishes something, it's not to restrict you, it's actually to free you. It's called the perfect law of liberty. That's what James called it in James chapter 1. He said, we look into the perfect law of liberty. It's a law, yes, but it brings freedom because it's going to, number one, best glorify God. And what glorifies God is going to be what's best for me. He didn't create it just so I could benefit from it. No, that's secondary, what I get to benefit from it. The first thing is that he created me to glorify him. So my marriage, my relationship, yes, I benefit from that, but first and foremost, it's to glorify him. It's to show me his love for me. It's to show me that marriage commitment, that marriage union, and what that looks like. To show me how I can be so intimate with someone and get so close to someone in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way. And God said, this is what I want with you. And it shows us the heart of God. So here's the thing. God created marriage. God created sex. He gets to say how it goes. Amen? He gets to say this is the parameters, not because he's wanting to restrict you, not because God isn't cool, but because God says this is actually going to benefit you the most because it's going to bring me the most glory. Amen? It's actually going to be the healthiest way, the safest way, the way that is going to benefit you the most, the way you're actually going to enjoy sexual intimacy the most because I believe that God wants Christian men and women in the context of marriage to have the best sex on the planet. Amen? And we should be able to because if it's in God's design and if it's what God desires, it's going to be what's best for me. Amen? Amen. So sex was created by God. And it's good. And we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about pure sexual intimacy in the bonds of marriage and how to grow in that. And we're also going to talk about what is not pure. And how to be freed from those things. So everything that God creates is good. Amen? Men, good. Women, good. Sex, good. Everything God created is good. Right? There's a problem though. When a fallen man or a fallen woman gets involved with something that is pure 
and decides to make it about them instead of about God. Then it begins to pervert it or twist it or change it. And now all of a sudden, the purity from the original intent gets somehow distorted and diluted in the process. And what God originally created between a man and a woman in the context of marriage has now become something that's become twisted and distorted in our world because that's what fallen sinful people do. They take this idea of the purity of sex and they turn it into something else. Go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to put it up on the screen for you as well because I'm going I'm to read this. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Oh, man, that is a weighty statement right there. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, we know the truth. We're just choosing to suppress it. I know what's right. I know what God created and how he created it, but I'm choosing to ignore it and actually suppress it by my unrighteous act. I'm suppressing the truth, man, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since creation of the world, his invisible, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which were not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, trust, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also those who approve of those that practice them. That's some heavy scripture. Isn't that heavy? Pretty straight up. You, you see, as we read this, we, we, we see how... These people suppress the truth by unrighteousness. How they exchange the truth for a lie. How they thought they were really wise, but they were really foolish. Doesn't that sound like our world today? Turn on the news. People get on there and explain this away and explain that away. Try to use human rationale and human wisdom. Oh, I'm so smart. Look at how smart I am. Look at how many letters I have behind my name and all of the different universities I graduated from and how intelligent that I may come across to you and how accomplished that I am. So therefore, I get to choose what is right and what's not. But really, they're being foolish. They thought they were wise, but they're being foolish. Man, that's a perfect picture of how this world views sex too. How sex has become distorted and perverted in our culture. You see, sex was created for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. End of story. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I said sex was created for one man and one woman in the context of a marriage. End of story. Jesus reiterated this in Matthew 19 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's talking about sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's Jesus' words reiterating 
from creation, we have known that this is God's desire. Because anything that's outside of God's desire or God's design is not pure. It's sinful. Anything outside of God's design is not pure. It is sinful. Homosexuality, bestiality, sex outside of marriage, prostitution, adultery, pornography, swinging, orgies. These things, and I'm not talking about on your front porch either. Oh, <clears throat> these things are sinful. Listen, listen, here's why they're sinful. Not because God just wanted to make a list of things that were sinful, but they're sinful because they are perversions of the purity in which God created sex to be enjoyed. That's why they're wrong, because they're outside of God's design. It's not pure. It is sinful. And anything that is sinful always hides and divides. Every time. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. There was no sin on the planet. The Bible says Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And then God put this tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, and He said, don't touch this in the day that you touch it. You're going to surely die because he wanted man to have a choice to choose him, not to just, to, just, to just worship him because God created him to and he's going to be a robot. No, God gave man a choice. And man chose to go ahead and take of the fruit because he gave into the temptation. And then what happened after they sinned? What happened when sin came into the picture? What did Adam and Eve immediately notice? We're naked. And what did they immediately go do? Hide. They tried to hide from God. Sin separates. Sin divides and sin always hides. Just like many people do with pornography, they hide. Like many people do with adultery and other sexual sins, what do they do? They hide. Why do they hide? Because it's sin. If it wasn't sin, you don't have to hide. And what is it doing? It's dividing. It's pushing people further away. Most likely people who love you the most children, your husband, your wife. And sometimes sin takes a different turn. It does hide and it does divide, but sometimes sin gets really nasty and it gets really boastful and proud. Oftentimes when it gets caught, if it's unrepentant. If we're unrepentant when we get found out in a sin, we'll get very bold with it. Or we begin to justify it in other people's eyes, and then we actually get very loud. Because sin will always put people against one another. Often, the person that is in sin is hiding or ashamed, or they're blatantly defending or justifying their sin. I'm going to give you a very personal story. The most personal story I've ever shared as your pastor. I'm very careful doing this, but I feel like this is correct in the context um, I grew up in a very good, godly Christian home, um, and my dad was always on the worship team. My dad was always teaching Sunday school, and uh, my dad held Bible studies at his job. And um, one day, my mom found out that my dad had been taking prescription medicine, and he was addicted to it and had been addicted to it for 20-something years. That was the reason we never had anything growing up. My dad had a good-paying job, but we, I, we didn't grow up having a whole lot. I mean, we didn't ever go without our basic needs, but we, you know, my dad actually made pretty good money with what he did, but he, uh, he got found out that he was abusing prescription medication. And instead of repenting and making it right when he got found out, he got very blatant and open with the sin. And it began to lead to other things began to lead to drug use and other recreational drugs. He got thrown in jail a few times. My dad, teaching Sunday school, being on the worship team, all these things. Because now it's, I'm just going to be open with it, and I'm just going to just be defending it, justifying it, all of these things. That happens all the time in our culture with sexual sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where it'll get very open and blatant, and go, I'm here, oh well, I guess I'm just going to do this, I'm just going to participate in this, I'm going to live in this sin, and you can't do anything about it. Matter of fact, who are you to judge me? And we hear that kind of stuff. While the people who are saying those things and screaming those things and defending their position on their 
sexual issues. Everybody does it. It's not a big deal. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I'm not doing what they do. All these different sins that we're justifying, what we're doing is we're actually pushing the people who care about us the most away from us. Because as much as I hate to say it, I have to be careful now because when I do see my dad, which is very rare, um, I have to make sure that, hey, is, uh, is, is, is he on something right now? Can I trust him with my kids right now? You know, I mean, I hate that. I hate that. I love my dad, but I hate that sin. I love people who are struggling with all kinds of issues, but I hate the sin that they've allowed to control their life because it divides. That's what sin does. It hides and it divides. And God says, I've already paid the price for you to be free. And we enter into this self-selected slavery that we've chosen. It's not slavery that was imposed on us. It's slavery that we've chosen. Because we have given in to so much temptation allowed to become such a part of our lives that we become enslaved to sin. We become enslaved to sexual sins. And we'll defend and justify our sin. Understand this. Anything sexual that causes you to hide or that divides is a trap. It's a trap to keep you caged in your sin. You become a prisoner, a victim in your eyes. Now all of a sudden you move from just being a prisoner to now you're a victim. And you never experience freedom that Christ gives because you're always justifying your sin because you're a victim now. <laughs> well, this is why I do this. I do this because of this and sin. We walk around with baggage and hurts and pains and wounds and we struggle with forgiveness for ourselves and we struggle with forgiveness for others who have wronged us. And we open ourselves up to deeper places of sin and perversion that not only affects you, but it affects your family. It divides. Sin will keep you from experiencing true love. Sin will keep you from experiencing true forgiveness, true peace, true joy. Because when you are in sin, you will most likely refuse those who are actually trying to help you and love you. When you're choosing the sin over and over again, and someone's trying to help you, love you, maybe confront you on something, push them away. Why? Because sin divides. It's a trap, folks. It is a trap. It is a cycle that gets repeated over and over and over again. And this is not God's plan for sexual intimacy, for it to be pure in our relationship. We have to look at what God says. In Titus 1 and 15, the Bible says this, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. He said, to those that are pure, all things are pure. I can't be pure in and of myself. I don't have it in me, okay? I can't be pure in and of myself. I need help with this. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross, right? It was my sin. It was your sin. It was the sin of the world that put him on that cross. And he nailed that sin to the cross. He nailed that addiction to the cross. He nailed that perversion to the cross. And he has made all things new. And he has made us pure. And now we have to allow that purity of this transformed life affect every area of our lives the way we think what we value so we're transformed from the inside out and God does an amazing work in our lives that helps us to understand things that maybe we once thought were perverted things we once lived in sin in, and we can understand the purity of God because the marriage covenant will keep sex pure in a perverted world The marriage bed keeps sex pure because here's what it does. Instead of dividing, sex in the context of marriage unifies. It actually brings you closer together. Guess what else? It's done without shame or hiding because this is someone you're spending the rest of your life with that you're going to be the most intimate with, the person that you're supposed to be the most transparent with, the most open with. 
have the deepest conversations with, the, share the deepest levels of your heart with, person that you're able to share yourself both physically, emotionally, mentally, every part of you, you share with this person and there's no shame. There should be no hiding because to the pure, all things are pure. I want to give you six purposes for sex and marriage, and I'll talk a little bit about each one. I want you to write these down. The first one is for pleasure. Yes, I know that when we have sex, that it is for procreation as well, for us to make babies. But it's not just for making babies, it's for pleasure. You want to know how I know that? There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to it. It's the one that you never read or you giggle when you read it. It's called Song of Solomon. This book is all about Solomon taking his bride into the bed, the bed chambers. And they're about to have sex for the first time. And he's, he's never seen this lady because in the old traditional marriage, they veiled their face. Hasn't seen how beautiful she is. He begins to describe how beautiful he is, she is. She looks, he looks at her and he says things like this. Girl, your teeth look like a flock of sheep. He says, your neck is like a tower, girl. He describes some other things as well, and I'll let you read those <laughs> later on. But he begins to describe how he's enjoying every step of watching her undress and how she's enjoying him and how they're enjoying one another together in, a physical, in, 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 in that physical act of making love. And then he even shares with her afterwards how much he loves her and how much he enjoyed being with her, how committed he is to her. And he describes it in very elaborate terms. And so we know that God created sex, yes, for procreation, but he created it for our pleasure. The second thing is, of course, procreation, because we need some good men and women of God to have some babies in this world. To raise some children in the fear and admonition of the Lord that grow up knowing the things of the Lord. You know, the children of Israel who followed God out of the land of Egypt, who saw the, uh, God deliver them from the hand of the Pharaoh, who crossed over the Red Sea, who saw the, the Ten Commandments handed to Moses from God, who saw the walls of Jericho fall. You know, in the very next book of the Bible in Judges, it says after all that generation was laid to rest when they all died, it said there arose a generation after them that did not know the Lord. What? One of the saddest scriptures in all the Bible, in my opinion, in the first part of Judges, where it says, after all these guys died, Joshua was dead, Moses was dead, there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. Let that not be said of us. Amen? Amen. Let that not be said of us, that because of social pressure, because of something not being popular or too difficult of a situation or a subject to deal with, that we refuse to talk about it or deal with it, and a generation arises that does not know the Lord or the things of the Lord, that's not living their lives in a way that's pointing people to Him and glorifying God, that aren't enjoying the things that God created for the purpose God enjoy, it, it, it created them for. Third thing that God created sex for was for comfort. Just let that one marinate for a minute. God created sexual intimacy for our comfort, for us to be able to comfort one another. I really don't know anything to say about that. I'll just let you figure that one out. <clears throat> the fourth thing is protection, safety from temptation. Last week, my wife and I shared about how we guard one another's heart. Talked about how we're very open and transparent with one another and how we have no secrets. We don't hide things. We talk about things, even things that may be embarrassing or uncomfortable to talk about. We have those conversations. Why? Because I want to guard her heart. She wants to guard mine. There is safety in intimacy in the context of marriage. And it brings a whole new level of intimacy. That's why people that are married, who are Christian men and women, should have the best sex because there's safety in the bedroom. There's safety in the context of the sexual act between those two people. If I'm not married to someone and I'm sleeping with them, I don't know if I'm going to be with them forever or not. I, I, I may feel a little uneasy about that. Or maybe I'm not good enough for them to choose to marry me. Maybe they're, they're afraid to commit to me for whatever reason, whatever the case may be. 
And it keeps me from not being committed to the level where I won't allow my eyes and my heart to wander elsewhere. Because I'm not committed to this person, I can kind of shop around a little bit. Even though I'm living with this person or because I'm sleeping with this person, I, 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 I feel a little bit more liberty. It's where when I'm married, there's more safety and protection for both the husband and wife in that context. And there should be a lot of security in that context. Amen? We've got to guard one another's hearts. Hmm. Fifth thing is to be vulnerable, to know one another and to build trust. The Bible uses the phrase when it talks about sex in the old King James version of the Bible, says that Adam knew his wife. It wasn't talking about they sat down for a cup of coffee and just said, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. So you came from my rib, huh? Mm, how was that? You know, I mean, you know, you don't have a belly button. That's weird. Um, you know, I don't either. What is a belly button, by the way? They didn't sit down and get to know each other that way. I'll let you think about that. That's some deep spiritual revelation right there. For some of you, some of you, your minds are just blown right there. Did they, why didn't they have a belly button? Oh, I'll let you figure that one out. The Bible's talking about they had sex. They knew each other. And, and I think that's such a great way to describe the sexual act because getting to know someone in the most personal, intimate way is so special. And that's, that's one of the purposes God created sex for. And then the last one is oneness for unity. The two becoming one flesh. God wants the two to become one. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 3 says this, Let the husband render to the, his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have the authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent. Oh, some of you know this scripture. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The Bible says, listen, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. In other words, we need to guard our spouse's heart and we need to guard their mind and we need to be willing to have sex with our spouse and not use that as a tool of manipulation, tool of control to get our selfish desires accomplished or for selfish behavior. It was given for us to enjoy one another in the purity of the marriage covenant. That's why Hebrews 13 and 4 says that the marriage bed is undefiled. The marriage bed always remains pure. Marriage beds always remains pure. Why? Because it's done in the context of the way that God created it for it to happen. Amen? You see, even though the marriage bed is undefiled, we still must look to God and what He says is permissible for healthy sex in marriage and for that sex in marriage to remain pure. Because I get that question a lot sometimes as a pastor. Uh, you know, uh, what, what can we do? What can't we do in, in the bedroom? You know, and uh, when I was a youth pastor, I would have teenagers ask me, Pastor, how far is too far? I said, when you ask that question. <laughs> That's how far too far is. Because <clears throat> here's the thing. I, I want you to understand something. This is not my sermon, but I'm going to go there anyway. It's just because you... I, I, Y'all are feeling me today. All right. Let me explain something to you. It's not just sex outside of marriage. It's not just homosexuality. It's not just pornography and all these things. The Bible uses a term called fornication. Okay? Fornication is sin. What does sin do? It hides and divides. Right? Fornication is any type of sexual touch outside of the context of marriage. Simplest definition for what fornication is. That is fornication. Any type of sexual touch or act outside of marriage. But guess what? In the context of marriage, the marriage bed is undefiled. So we want to make sure that we keep that marriage bed pure because we need to ask ourselves these three questions when it comes to what can we do in the bedroom. Three questions we need to ask in order to keep our sexual life pure before God is, number one, is it lawful? I mean, seriously, is it legal? Okay, <laughs> is what you're wanting to do in the bedroom, is illegal. 
And not only by the government. You guys are a great crowd, by the way. That first service, man, when I start going here, you could have heard a pin drop, buddy. Their little sister so-and-so was wanting to get a butterscotch out of her purse, and she wouldn't do it because she was afraid somebody would hear it. I mean, it was, it was nervous up in here. You guys are good. All right. First question, is it lawful? And I don't just mean is it lawful in the eyes of the government. I mean, is it lawful in the eyes of God? In other words, people ask these questions like, are multiple partners okay? No. <laughs> is homosexuality okay? No. Is pornography okay? No. Is pornography okay if we're both okay with it in our marriage bed? No. It's not lawful. God has been very clear about these things. If you're watching pornography together, that is such a dangerous, dangerous, wicked thing to allow in your home and allow in your marriage because what you're doing is you're giving a green light to your husband or your wife to lust after someone else and to desire someone else other than you. And just think about how degrading that is that somehow you're not good enough for them that they have to be stimulated by watching someone else have sex in some perverted way. And that now we're going to somehow get turned on because of watching other people have sex or looking at images of, of people that are barely clothed or that are fully nude or whatever the case may be. That's not lawful in the eyes of God. Jesus said that if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's not just about doing the physical act. Hello, somebody. That includes checking out other ladies too, gentlemen. When you are married, think you're all slick with your mirrored sunglasses, checking out that lady that your wife can't see your eyes wandering. Sin hides and divides. It hides and divides. And you are doing something that's very dangerous that's putting cracks in the foundation of your marriage. And you need to stop. Amen? Amen. Pastor God, preach it. <laughs> Second thing, is it helpful? Is what we're wanting to do Sexually, is it helpful? Because there's certain things concerning sex in your marriage that may not be sinful. There may not be a law against it, but are they helpful? What I mean by that is that do they cause shame for you or for the other person? Or are they attached to some bad memories or experiences from the past that you need to help them deal with? Instead of pressuring them to do something in the bedroom that they don't want to do. Nobody's going to amen that. And I get that. That's okay. <laughs> Or because you heard about your buddies talking about something that they did with their spouse or whatever the case may be. Or because you read what was in that magazine at the checkout counter. And the other person doesn't feel comfortable doing this. You need to talk about those things. You need to have those conversations. And not try to pressure your spouse into doing something. It's not going to be helpful if you do it that way. Okay? You need to talk through those things. And especially if there's an area of woundedness there. You need to try to help bring some restoration. And perhaps one day you, you, you can try that or you can do that. But just because it's lawful doesn't mean that it's helpful. If it's not helping, it may not be something you need to be pursuing. So we need to look at the purpose of sex and see if it fits in one of those categories, those six things that I gave you. Now, I'm going to be very clear about something in this helpful category. This is going to be helpful to you. If you come from a past where you have struggled with pornography or you currently struggle with pornography and you're trying to recreate pornographic scenes from films or images in your bedroom, that is wrong. Do not use pornography or former pornographic images that you still have locked in the cortex of your mind as something you're trying to recreate in the bedroom and you're trying to make your spouse fulfill some fantasy you had about some perverted thing that you saw done in a video or on a movie or in a magazine or whatever. Got to be careful about those things because if we want to keep the marriage bed pure, let's keep it pure. Amen? Let's not drag in our former fantasies that we might have had from our past and try to recreate those things in the bedroom because we thought that was really something cool. We've got to be careful because that's still another trap that the enemy could, could, could get into your marriage. Could cause a lot of damage there. 
in your most intimate thing that you do together as a husband and wife. So, third thing, is it enslaving? Do one or both of you constantly feel ashamed in certain areas of sex? It may be lawful, and it may even be a helpful thing, but if you feel like you're a slave or you're addicted to it, then maybe you can't have sex with your spouse without always having to do this thing or that thing, and you're addicted to it, and, and you're enslaved to it. You've got to be careful. You've got to ask that question. Is, is this enslaving, or is this something that I still enjoy and that still brings us closer together? Because here's the thing. You need to reevaluate the purpose of sex, and you need to find freedom. Because all aspects of sexual intimacy need to be enjoyed by both the husband and the wife. Amen? We need to talk to one another. We need to be transparent with one another. And if you've had sex before marriage, or if you struggle with pornography, you struggle with homosexuality, or any other form of perversion, this is not the end for you. Some people are like, oh man, I, I did this. I wish I would have heard this message earlier. Oh man, you know, I, I made this decision. I made that decision. Yeah, I understand that you made that decision and you need to recognize that that was a wrong decision and that it was outside of the context of what God's design was. But that does not mean that it's the end for you. It doesn't mean that God has written you off. Amen? He offers forgiveness. But here's what we have to do. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to humble ourselves and recognize our error. We have to repent to God and to our spouse or whoever. Make the changes we need to make in order to make it right. I have a buddy that uh, I've known for a little over 10 years. Good, good friend of mine. And when he was a single guy, he approached me one day. I was a youth pastor. He came and talked to me. He said, he said Pastor Derek, said, uh, I need to talk to you. I want to let you know I'm struggling with pornography. And I said, okay. We prayed together, told him I would hold him accountable, check up on him regularly, you know, things like that. He, he asked me to do that, and I said, of course I will. I would check up on him. I'd say, so hey, bud, how, how's, that, how's that going? Oh, man, I'm still struggling. He would cry, feel ashamed, feel guilty. And he started dating this girl, and he was very serious about her and wanted to marry her. And uh, he came to me and said, hey, we're going to get married. I said, that's great. I said, what about the pornography? Is it still there? Yeah. Have you told her? No. You need to tell her. You guys need to talk about this before you get married. You really need to find freedom from this before you get married. I will help you. She can help you. You do not continue down this path. He ignored my advice. Ended up getting married. Had two kids. Been married for about seven years now. And I talked to him about a year ago. And um, I said, hey, bud, long time, no talk. What's going on? Oh, things are great. Bought a new house, got a new job. And then he knew it was coming. I said, hey, you still struggling with the pornography? Yeah. Have you told your wife of seven years whom you have two children with? No. I said, man, you really need to talk to her. You guys really need to work through this. You need to let her know. Well, I don't know what she's going to do. She's going to be so upset. She's going to be so, so mad. I, I might lose her over this. I said, you need to make this right. I said, sin is going to destroy your marriage. I said, you've got to make this right. And believe it or not, he didn't know I was doing a marriage series. He didn't know I was in any stuff. I got a text from him four days ago. Four days. And that text said, Hey, Derek, just want to let you know, I talked to my wife last night. I told her everything. The past nine years of my struggle, the past seven of which I was with her. He said, and I just laid it all off the line. He said, because I got so sick of it. And I said, I want to be free. I'm so tired of this controlling my life. It's ruining things for me. I want to be free. So he said, I talked to her. He said, and she began to cry. She got angry. He said, but then she calmed down. She put her arm around me. He said, she forgave me. He said, she prayed with me. She said, he said, now there's some trust that we're going to have to work on rebuilding in our relationship because he's violated some trust. That doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness. You've got to rebuild that. Amen? 
Just because you forgive somebody don't mean you just jump right back into immediately giving them all your trust. Hello, trying to help somebody out here. That's got to be built back. And so he's doing that. He's working on that. But he said, for the first time in my life, he said, I actually feel like I'm free from this thing that has been dictating my life for the past nine years. He said, she wept with me. She cried with me. And we put some boundaries and borders in place that are going to help hold me accountable. And we're going to talk about those things more openly and make sure that I walk in the freedom that Christ has already paid for, that I prayed for, that I begged for. Because do you think God's going, nope, not going to give you freedom, not begging hard enough, not praying good enough, not going to give you freedom. No, 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 no. He's already done it. Amen? Christ has already paid the penalty for sin. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? He's already made you free. It's us just deciding to walk in it because if you want to make the decision to walk in self-selected slavery for the rest of your life here on this earth, you can do that. You will live less than God's best for you. You will live outside of His desire and His plan for you. He will still love you. He will still forgive you. But you're not walking in His best. Amen? I want to walk in God's best. I want my sex life to be the best that God created, to be with nothing interfering, with nothing in the way. And for it to be pure intimacy, pure in the eyes of God, I want to make sure that I'm not only pure before God, but I'm pure before my spouse. Amen? That means being open and transparent and talking about these things. So here's the thing. Some of you may need to humble yourself to your spouse and repent. And repentance doesn't mean saying, I'm sorry. That's not what repentance means. That means you're just asking someone to forgive you. Repentance is a different word. Repentance means to turn, to make a 180, to turn away from the sin, to shun the sin, to hate that sin, to, to despise it, to, to walk in freedom from it. I'm repenting. I'm turning from it because I don't want this to dictate my life anymore. I don't want it to push people away. I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to divide anymore. So if you're caught up in some type of adulterous affair, time to come clean. Man, that's hard to say. You got to let the chips fall where they may on that, and maybe your spouse will forgive you like this guy's wife did him. I don't know what's going to happen when you do that, but you have to make the decision to humble because we, we are leaving a legacy. That's why we're here, is to keep this legacy going forward, to keep God being glorified in our life. So I ask you, what kind of legacy are you going to leave with the life that you lived for God? Is it going to be a legacy of humility and repentance, or is it going to be a legacy of foolishness that never got corrected? That we thought, I can handle this on my own, behind closed doors, hidden from everyone else. And I'll never have to repent about it as long as no one finds out. What type of legacy do we want to live? Do we want to walk in the freedom that Christ gives? Or we just, just want to hope one day it just falls on us. And it's like fairy dust. And all of a sudden we're free because someone prayed for me and now I don't have to tell anybody. Now I don't have to repent. No, you need to repent. You see, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The Bible says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Yes, God gives us mercy, but we also need to understand what is true. Amen? By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. So here's the thing. For intimacy to remain pure in the eyes of God and in our hearts, we must choose God's way. Not our way. Not what's popular. Not what's socially acceptable. What's going to bring him the most glory is going to give me the most benefit. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't always seem like benefit, but I promise you it is. God, I want your way, not my way. Because I want to live my life in a way that's going to bring glory to you. Amen, somebody. Amen. See, all this is going to help keep the marriage bed pure. When our sexual lives are pure before God and one another in the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. That's God's plan. That's God's design. It's the most enjoyable, the most intimate, and will bring the most glory to God. So I want to give you some resources as I'm wrapping up here today. Go ahead and put those on the screen. I'm going to leave those up.
uh, on the screen even after the service is over. So, because I know it's kind of a lot to take in, a lot to write down. Maybe if, if you want to just snap a picture of it with your phone or whatever, maybe the easiest thing to do, I don't know, because um, it's a lot to write down. But uh, I found some free resources that are going to help to break pornography addiction. And um, those are free resources that, uh, that, that are out there that I found that, that, that I would be willing to give a thumbs up on. There are a lot of other resources out there that I'm not, um, but those are two that kind of stood out to me. Um, those are free. Don't cost you anything, all right? So if that's an issue in your marriage, you guys need to talk about it. Check those resources out. Find freedom. Repent. Move on. Grow closer together and allow what the enemy tried to use as a trap to destroy your marriage, bring you closer together and bring God glory even out of that thing that he wanted to destroy you with. Hello, somebody. Also giving you resources to encourage further intimacy, God's way in marriage. Um, I've read two of the three of those books. I haven't read the, the, read the last one on that list, um, but I have uh, skimmed through it, and I have just checked out some of it, but I have read uh, the other two, and I think those are great. Those are some good books to make you blush and giggle um, and on, on, on some chapters, but uh, that, that's good for husbands and wives to have those conversations, and uh, I, I think that's good for you to be that open and transparent with one another. So I want these things to help you as we grow in our intimacy with one another and most importantly as we grow closer to the Lord, understanding his plan for our marriage so we can have the best marriage that God created for us to have because the best marriage you and I can have is going to be the one that's going to bring him the most glory because that's what this thing's about, giving glory to God. There's this old song. I don't know. You might know. You might not. By a guy, I love his music. I have all of his albums. Um in the uh, 70s, and he, he died in 82, a guy named Keith Green. He sang the song called, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. You remember that song? Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds in me. The second part of that song, he says, he says that I want to take your word. I want to shine it all around. He said, but first help me just to live it, Lord. He said, when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown because my reward, my reward is giving glory to you. That's our reward, folks, is giving glory to God. Amen? Any personal benefit we receive from it is secondary to the purpose because my reward is giving glory to him. So let's let our marriages, our, our children, our lives, our our, our jobs, everything that we do, let's let it be a testimony and a glory to God because He's worthy of that. Amen? That's presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. That's us giving Him everything. That's us seeking first the kingdom of God, living our lives in a way that brings glory to Him, having the marriages that are going to bring glory to Him. And so He's shown us how to best bring Him glory because the more you know Him, the more you're going to know how to bring Him glory. And so I pray that today through this message that you've gotten to know a little bit more about the heart of God for sex and marriage, so we can bring the most glory to Him. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.